Welcome to Kilts and Culture with USA Kilts. We're here to talk about all things Highland dress, the cultures and the heritage that created it, and how to enjoy the kilt in the 21st century. From tartan and trues to haggis and history, we cover it all. So sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy the show. Howdy, boys and girls. Welcome to Kilts and Culture. I am Rocky. This is this is Eric. I'm never going to get used to that, the whole backwards in the Yo. mirror thing. Indeed. Today, special treat. We have Copper Fox uh, Original American Single Malt. It is uh, from Sperryville, Tennessee, or excuse me, Sperryville, Virginia. And uh, this was given to us by a customer, Brett Anderson. Um, I'm very curious about this one. It's, it's effectively a... A, a Scotch style, but an American Scotchish kind of thing mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. I was gathering in my limited research. Um, so let's bring in Mr. Mac, and uh, we will get this party started. Um, while we are trying this lovely whiskey today, boys and girls, load your comments, questions in down below. If you've ever had this before, great. Tell us about this. Um, if not, ask us about anything you want to ask us about, and we are, as always, an open book here for your amusement. Um, that being or said, at least, a, at least a pamphlet. Exactly. Yeah. We're an open small essay, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Open flyer on your windshield. <clears throat> yeah, more of a postcard, really. It's okay. Right, we're a footnote. Right. We're a footnote in history. That's it. Or a chick track. You know. Exactly. Um, so, Mr. Mack. Do you have any, uh, while we're, you know, smelling this, do you have any uh, tasting notes or anything you can uh, give us? Well, which would you like? Would you like the nose, the palate, or the finish? Well, first, let's, well, let's try it. Let's try it this way. Let's, let's us do the nose first. We're going to test how, how good or absolutely horrible we are at doing any of this. Um, Nose. I get a, a fruity, woody, slash earthy kind of smell, like a light smoke, maybe. Nothing, nothing like, nothing real earthy, but a little bit. I, I actually, I completely agree. Um, oddly enough, but yeah, it's, it's it's a little fruity, and there's definitely a there's a little bit of tan in there, a little bit of the oaky. And we've uh, just for everybody out there, we actually poured this probably about uh, 45 minutes ago. Just to let some of the uh, the strong, you know, uh, alcohol smells kind of evaporate off did a tiny it. bit. Boy, did it! I mean, yeah. I remember walking in here earlier and it's like, woo! So it definitely had some yeah. off gassing to do. Yes. So I think that definitely is. Pro- it's. I'm hoping that helps us. I'm assuming it's going to help us. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right, Mac. What do you think? Well, you've also read the notes, so now you got what the answers. What do I think? Say, what do I think or what I know? Well, give us what they th- <laughs> give us what they want us to think. And then we'll and then we'll take it from there. Okay, so rich aromas of suede, olive, tapenade, Topping whatever on. that is, um, honey, and wood fire. Okay, I get the honey and the wood fire. I don't know about olive tapenade, but or suede. or suede. Well, I haven't eaten suede in a long time, so. Power of, suge- power of suggestion. I'm smelling a little bit of the leathery kind of smell now. Right, right. But, all right. Mm-hmm. 
Chairs. Let's 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 do the uh, let's do the pallet. Okay, Sancho. A lot more leather in the palate. It's like I'm chewing on a biker jacket. <laughs> Don't ask questions, people. Um, <laughs> anybody, does, does anybody else's look a little cloudy? Yes. Look at the color. Yes. Yeah. I was isn't that interesting? Say that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I was I actually when I was looking at the bottle earlier, it's very it's it's reason. I wish I had a white piece of paper or something to hold up behind it. Yeah. It's it's pretty cloudy. Very peppery, like, I don't know. I think that's a little bit of alcohol burn. I think I possibly, you possibly, know what I mean? yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of a harshness from the alcohol. Now I'm into the, I'm into the finish now, and it's kind of the fruity, sweet smoothie kind of finish. It's not, um, with a, and a tiny, tiny bit of smoke. But it's like a, a fruity Swedish finish, and it's a little burny down here, not too bad. Um, it's got a little bit of a kick when I was drinking it, but it's it's warm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm hogging the areas. Uh, <coughs> Eric. Excuse me. Um. Yeah, it's a little it's a little harsh on the finish, a little burny on the sides and the back of my tongue. Um. Uh, there is a there is a kind of a, a honey orangey uh, tone to it that I like. Okay. <laughs> Max, like you're hitting the words. These are the right words to say. <laughs> yeah, the, the, and the, and the, the, there is the oakiness is there, but it's not it's 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 a little little bit of peatiness, but not quite not, just not much. It's more oak peat with a Peter little bit smoke. of peatiness. Smoke. Peter's smoke is what I really mean. Yeah. Right. Thank okay. you. Um, the peatiness would be like the earthiness, the dirt kind of flavor to it. Yeah. Make it sound so appetizing. Um, but the, I don't get any <laughs> peat really. I do get a little bit of smoke. Um, I don't get this, like the immediate swallowing, I get a little bit of the Bernie, but 10 seconds later, I still, it, it's, that all goes away. So um, for me, the finish yeah. is reasonably smooth. The, the actual ingesting a little bit Bernie. I think that the oakiness is lingering a lot. In my mouth. So, according to the site, for the palate, is dried mango chutney with and clay with a silky dry fruitiness, medium full body. And then for the finish, it's long and spicy with wood smoke, orange, orange marmalade. On rye toast and a root beer float. On rye toast. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, but could you get any more pretentious with your tasting notes? That is ridiculous. Orange marmalade. What we started off with olive tapenade and then, and now orange marmalade on rye toast. I mean, mm -hmm. wow. Is that I how y'all do it in Virginia? <laughs> I mean, it, here's what I, I want. I can't. I want a Go boggle. Ahead. Like thing where you like you pop the bubble and it just comes up with different words, right? And that's right. what we're gonna say the tasting notes are. It's like do dog, dog. There used to be the Dogbert mission statement generator. I feel like there could be the the uh, the Dogbert tasting notes <laughs> generator. Just now, here's the thing though, they're not wrong. 
I'm picking up similar stuff of what they were saying. I get the, you know, I said oranginess, and you yeah. said they said marmalade, so. Mm -hmm. I will say this. I'm happy they didn't say vanilla and chocolate. <laughs> Everybody else says that. Right. Vanilla. Yeah. Yeah. But not bad, though. It's it's a little a, a little pretentious. <laughs> um, it's a little a little reaching, shall we say? I'll, I won't say pretentious. I'll say they're reaching for some of it, but mm -hmm. it's not bad. I think they're striving for some semblance of accuracy, and it comes out as pretentious. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's. it's you could just say, yeah, it's kind of orangey, you know. But yeah. uh, the uh, uh, Eric, I'm I'm bad with names. The uh, the the lady that. Uh, the master distiller that gave us her bottle of scotch or, or whiskey she did. Do you remember her name? Who's totally awesome, and I always remember her name except for right now. Okay, sorry. So, um, anyway, what she <laughs> said was, you know, the, the, the palate thing is very, very individual. You may taste things that he doesn't mm -hmm. taste and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So I can, fr from a marketing standpoint, I can understand trying to put in multiple things into the tasting and nosing and all that kind of stuff just to give you things to shoot for, but at the same time, right. yeah, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I still like chewing on a biker jacket. That's... I'm getting the suede now. <laughs> getting that, that suede leather <clears throat> thing. Like a pair of chaps after the Civil War. After a long day on the trail. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh, salty and spicy. Mr. Mac. Let us, let us now pontificate on the score for this noblest of, of pretentious scotches. Or not scotch, excuse me, uh, American whiskey. Um, mm -hmm. One to ten, what do we give it? And I'll, I'll put it in the, the scotch-esque category. Um, so I think we could, yeah. we, could, we could rate it like a normal. Um, one to ten, what do you give it? I'm going... 4.7. Okay. Wow. Okay. Mr. So a little bit below, are we calling four the average, or excuse me, five the average? That's your flat? That's okay. where I was going so with slightly it, Slightly yeah. below average, but it's fine. Um, Mr. Eric. Mm -hmm. Well, despite all my teasing him and picking on him, I actually like this quite a bit. I'm going to give this an 8.2. I would definitely buy this. Damn. Yeah, Not bad. I like this. I like this. Yeah. And I have a feeling it's going to open up further in the course of the next hour or so, and I'm going to like it even more. Yeah. I would go 6.7. Like it's, okay. I like it better than average, but it's. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily drive out to get it. If somebody had you know, several at a, uh, at a party and this was one of them, sure. At least one of mine would be that. And mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. record, this is Batch number 165 of the uh, 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 original American single malt from and Copper it's, Fox. It's probably, and again, it might be power suggestion, but I'm even almost picking up on that rye toast point, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. I actually I, have a caraway seed stuck right in my tooth right there. <laughs> oh, that's why it's I, cloudy. It's all the caraway seeds sitting around it. I don't know. What, I want to know what that means. I want to know if that is considered a, a, uh, a, a, a bad scoring point or a neutral scoring point like it's a point of interest or is it a you know is a good bad or indifferent if your whiskey looks a little cloudy because we've never had tried anything on here before that had this level of cloudiness to opaqueness it. Yeah. you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah it's 
I'm assuming it's part of the filtering process or lack thereof. Lack thereof, yeah. Yeah. So I think that may be um, why some of the woody stuff comes through more with this one, perhaps. Yeah, maybe like it may be what they aged it in, maybe mm -hmm. gave it a little bit of the cloudiness. Um, so yeah. it's not the filtering, but it's the after. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, or maybe they didn't filter it after the barrel into the bottle. I have no idea. I don't know how it works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all in all, not bad. I could, I may I could have see, another. Yeah, I could see having drinking this with uh, uh, some some crackers and cheese and apple slices. You know what I mean? And uh, it would probably it probably go well with uh, like Frog Morton or um, another medium to sweet tobacco. I think it would pair nicely with. Okay. Very good. So we had uh, Lewis Collingwood respond and say that cloudy usually means chilled filtered. Aha. Okay. 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 Shows what I know. Yeah. Awesome. Um. Um, my last sip, took it down, breathed out the nose, and I definitely, you know, singed the nose hair on that one. I hope my eyes aren't watering too bad on camera here. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I dig it. I dig it. So Not what's your bad. score? I gave it. Uh, you did? 6.7, I think I said. Oh, 6.7? Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, above average. I wouldn't drive to go get it, but if it was presented at a party, I'd have one. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I like Very it quite good. a bit. I think it's interesting. Cool. Yeah. All right. And this was the Copper Fox Original American Single Correct. Malt. Copper Fox Original Single Malt. Batch 165. Batch 165. Our latest album. It's Colt 45 <laughs> or Batch 165. I don't know. <laughs> um, Samuel, what's... Uh, Billy, what the hell? Billy D. Williams? Is that his name? Billy D. Williams used to yeah. do the Colt 45 yeah. commercial. Mm. Yep. I'm thinking Samuel L. Jackson. I think mixing my Alexa with... Oh. What? Mixing the device <laughs> in the room with Samuel L. Jackson. Um, anyway, yes. I got Samuel L. Jackson on my device. And uh, not as great as I... I'm going to review that. Um, hey, Samuel. Shut up. Um, the... Uh, uh, I got Samuel L. Jackson on my uh, A-L-E-X-A device. It was, it was on sale on Amazon, and it wasn't not quite as good as I thought it was going to be. I asked for the explicative version. A few here and there, but not nearly as colorful as I would have liked. Anyway, um, that's the mini review for you. Uh, we got to come up with a theme song for mini review. Next. For electronics. We're sure. branching out. We're branching out here at USA Celtic, <laughs> Celtic Traditions. Yes, we're reviewing Alexa stuff. Indeed. Um, all right, now, boys and girls, load in the questions. What do you got? Load them in. Anything having to do with kilts, culture, anything? Eric and I are, as always, your humble servants here to give you our unbridled, angry opinions on everything. Um, Mr. Eric. Go first. Should I go first? Yes, indeed. If you would, uh, all right. move that up. Uh, I'm going to start at the top with uh, one that actually came in towards the end of our question requesting phase. Thank you, as always, everybody who uh, contributed stuff. As always, reminder, if I don't get to it this month, we save them and we do try to get to them later or even sometimes to use them for special content. So, uh, but right <laughs> here, Alan. Later. Yeah, right. Um, well, we're expanding the department, though, so we should be able to do more. That's true. That's true. Yeah. One, one um, thing I want to point out, um, yeah. real quick, none of us watered down any of that. 
I did. Oh, okay. I tried it. I, I try it first. I tried it first unwatered, and I liked it unwatered, but I decided to water it after. Okay. I so. didn't water it at all. That may have uh, added to the slight burniness, potentially. Hmm. Damn One it. One would think. Yeah. Oh, well. But, uh, my bad, okay. my bad. So, Alan Campbell. You ready? May, may I? May, okay. Alan Campbell says, A few years ago, I purchased a bollocks dagger. Uh, my question is, where on one's person is the proper traditional place to wear a bollocks dagger? Uh, Balak is how I usually hear it pronounced. Um, for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, it is the knife that the Scotch Dirk evolved out of. Um, it's called a bollocks dagger for a reason. It is. Um, yes, bollocks meaning, you know, man bits, shall we say. Um, the family visually, jewels. Yes. Yep, um, the the junk in the front. <laughs> um, yep. It's visually the, uh, you know, the, 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 the handle of the dagger has, you know, a long bit and then two balls Rounded on the bits. other side of it. Yeah. Like so, that. yeah. The one thing I liked about this was especially, like I said, I've always heard them called bollock daggers. Um, but uh, they, they started out like in the 13th century and you found them all over Europe, especially in the UK. It wasn't the UK yet, but you know what I mean. Um, and it, as you would expect, because it is supposed to be phallic and a way to impress the ladies at court, you did tend to wear it in front. Uh, now, the thing is, in Scotland, um, once you, in the old days, you'd be wearing it with a medieval pouch, you know, in medieval ages, you'd be wearing it with a pouch, uh, and a lot of time you have it in front for display, and then for convenience, you'd put it to the side, and oftentimes you'll see, uh, like, 14th, 15th century prints where the, uh, the dagger is behind the pouch. Yeah, these things were popular for, like, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, they were most popular in the Tudor age. The Victorians were afraid of the name, so they started calling them a kidney dagger, saying that the two round parts of the of the, the pommel, or not the pommel, of the, of the hilt, looked like kidneys because you'd stab people in the kidneys with them. So, uh, yeah, good old Victorian uh, sensibilities there. But they, like with so many other things in Europe and medieval Renaissance culture, the Highlands kind of retained it even after other people had abandoned it. So that's, again, why the Scottish Dirk kind of evolved out of it. And if you look at Dirks, you will see... The similarities in the shape and you see where it came from so what happened though was you also had the uh, advent of how people wore their pouches aka sporins in the highlands this is basically uh mid 18th century and uh you see what's happened is you can't really display the your ballot dagger completely in the front so because the sporin is there um use of separate straps for the sporin came in and out but it wasn't as common back then you see basically most of the stuff is suspended from uh, a single strap. Uh, I think he's got he's got a, a sword belt on there too. But the uh, the dagger winds up being shunted off to the side a bit because the sporin is in the front. Uh, and I think in this print you can also see that he's got his bayonet on the other side, on the other flank of the sporin. That is the answer. If you're wearing this in a historical context as a reenactor or something, then basically let it hang right next to the sporin as close to in front as possible. Um, now, again, practicality being what it is, the, uh, if you need to wear it off to the side for comfort reasons, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But traditionally, you would have it towards the front, right next to the sporn, or, or just peeking out from under the, the side of the sporn. And that goes for a Scottish Dirk, too, if you're in a, histor a historical context. you know. In a, in, he said he had picked it up at a Ren Fair, so I'm assuming he wants to wear it uh, probably with a, a great kilt at fair or reenactments or something. Right on. Mm-hmm. 
Mr. Mac, who do we have out in the interwebs? Alrighty, well, I'm getting slowly caught up to all the questions here, so we'll keep, keep them coming. Um, so first of all, what tartans are y'all wearing? Are we all wearing? Today, mm -hmm. I have on the, uh, well, actually, sorry. How impolite of me. Mr. Mac, what tartan are you wearing today? I have on the Red Hackle tartan. Ooh, look at you being all fancy. Nice. When we don't see often. Mr. Eric. Uh, I brought an oldie but goodie out today. This is my uh, Cameron Eric muted. Cameron of Eric muted. Very, very nice. Much like. This is a five yard. This is one of the first kilts I got after I started working here. This is an old one. But You look dead sexy in it, Eric. Thank you. <clears throat> today I have on the uh, Stuart's old Wilson's Abanic Burn Colors. Um, it's not muted, it's not ancient, it's not modern. It is uh, basically a recreation of the older mill, Wilson's Bannockburn, which is no longer in existence, sadly. Um, but they used the olive green and effectively olive green plus the modern color palette. So scarlet red, navy blue, that kind of stuff. Um, but it's a uh, very unique original kind of piece and it's also a throwback to old timiness. I'm making up words now. Um, so yeah. Stuart Old <laughs> Retro Wilson's Banner Burn. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't somebody asking you about this recently? About yeah, that? There was actually about those colors. We we had two people ask about it. Um, yeah. And I, whenever whenever someone asks, hey, what tartan are you wearing? I just send them a link directly to the tartan. And one of the two people actually ordered it because they loved it so much. So, I, cheers. It's it's one of my favorite kilts because it's a Stuart tartan, but it's not one that's done often. And at the same time, even though it's not done often, this is an even, you know, one more step removed where it's a, uh, 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 one that not many people do the old Wilson's band of colors. So, yeah, cool. All right, Mr. Mac. Alrighty. So we have stray cat asking something that I don't see spoken about much, which shoulder should a woman wear a sash on based upon tradition and is there something similar for men as well um now i'm on the spot now i forget i want to say it's damn it eric is it the right shoulder is for uh, yeah is for everybody is, and the yeah, chief's there's, wife um, is allowed to wear a left shoulder yeah it's I think something that's like correct. that yeah it's it's i i uh I want to say it might be the opposite, but it's one or the other. And some people will pay more uh, homage to that custom than others. Um, I'm not sure. I've never been quite sure how how strict it is, to be honest. Um, I know some. It, it's also it runs into one of those areas where people say um, this is the this is the tradition that was handed down to me by my grandfather and my great great grandfather. Blah blah blah. Um, I'm not sure where it's documented off the top of my head, and we can look it up it's, later. But it uh, is but, documented. Um, okay. I would say that there there should be, it's not just a fashion thing. It's not mm. pick what you want. There is documentation of the, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume I'm right. And if we're not, we'll either, we'll edit it later on. It's, okay. let's say it's the right shoulder coming across and then attach at the left hip for all women, except for the chief's wife, um, wife right. of a Colonel or general or something like that um, mm. in the military and in, Highland Dance, 
if you have um, or in uh, Highland dancing or whatever, it's you know, it's they use that arm to hold up, so they put it over the other right. shoulder. That sounds it's familiar. too difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sounds um, familiar. Those now. are the, those are okay. the three exceptions to the rule. Otherwise, it's over the right shoulder. Okay, I'm just gonna go with what you said. Sure. So, some I know I those are the three exceptions. Was... The yeah, the only thing that I'm still minorly iffy on is the uh, right or left, but. I believe Which one right. it is, but there is, but there is yeah. a, yeah. Um, when it comes to men, men don't wear sashes. Um, but if you want to extend this this question to fly blades, standardly you see it over the left, right, I'm, left, okay, left, left shoulder. Um, I've only ever seen people break that custom if they had uh, some kind of an issue with their with their left shoulder, or if they wanted to display a lot of military fruit salad. Uh, and also wear a fly blade, then they might flip the fly blade over to the other side because you don't reposition where your metals are supposed to go. Um, so, yeah, but standardly for men, the fly blade is on the, the left. Right? Agreed. I mean, yep. correct? Nope. Yeah. 100%. Okay. <clears throat> the other, uh, I remember I toyed around with uh, the the morning of my wedding. I wore a fly blade with my kilt outfit, and trying to put on the boutonniere. Typically, you put a boutonniere on the left, um, mm. but I had a fly plate on. So I literally was in that, like, you know, the the pre-wedding jitters slash getting ready slash it has to all be perfect. And then it was like, oh, my boutonniere is supposed to go here with my fly plate. Ah, what do I do? And I ended up, I was like, okay, fly plate's more important. Put the boutonniere on the other side. No one cared. Ultimately, yeah. re- the, the, the ultimate bottom line is, no one cares more than you. Well, so chief's, it's chief's wife might care. No, no, in the in the boutonniere versus the fly plate right. thing. I know what you mean. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah, but the uh, yeah, so I just flip my boutonniere. But for sashes, no, people do care. Yes, it's a thing. Don't mm-hmm. don't just throw it on and figure ah eh, whatever. There there is a bit of history there. There is something behind it. Right. Cool. All right, Mister Eric. Me. Yeah. Person who doesn't know anything about uh, sashes. Eric, okay. Mac, Eric, Mac, going back and forth. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's our custom, isn't it? Um, since, while we're talking about correctness, then. Um, Mark Mitchell. Uh, te- technical question. Uh, is it okay to wear a normal tuxedo shirt and bow tie with a Prince Charlie coatee? Um, <clears throat> is it okay ish um i would say this normal or i'll say you know saxon wear you know a regular tux shirt is so ubiquitous at this point that and so many people do it with a kilt with a prince charlie jacket and vest um that it's just kind of become a thing um normally traditionally a kilt jacket or a kilt shirt or a, a, a shirt that you would wear with a uh, Prince Charlie Prince Charlie jacket and vest would be a wing collar shirt with a placket over the buttons, very plain front, so you don't distract from the rest of the outfit. You don't want to have ridges and all kinds of you know frilly stuff. You, you don't want any of that. Just a plain front to the shirt, not even buttons, no studs, no nothing. Right. That being said, the vast majority of or I shouldn't say the majority, but a lot of people who wear kilt or a uh, prince charlie jacket and vest just say okay well i have a tuck shirt that's what i'm wearing period done so it's kind of become a thing if i'm going to 
you know, Nostradamus it and forecast out 50 years from now, 100 years from now, yeah, there'll probably be a lot more of those than there will be proper, you know, shirts to wear with a, uh, a Prince Charlie jacket and vest just because of the, the ready, you know, ready, you can purchase it anywhere versus specialty nature of the other. But right. yeah, if you have one, don't feel bad. Wear it as simple as possible, but wear it. Um, if you have the proper shirt, great, wear that. I was gonna say the I think the biggest problem with the, the regular tuck shirts is the studs. You have uh, you have the metal buttons on the waistcoat that goes with the Prince Charlie, so they're bright metal. It's the traditional Clonmacgill uh, square buttons, and so you have this line of like stud, 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 button, button, button. It looks odd. So if you have an option of the the placketed shirt, it's gonna look better because the attention is going to the sporran and the the bling on the jacket and the vest, uh, which is what you want. If you can't avoid it, maybe see if you can get like pearl studs instead of black, um, something like that, so that they're more subtle. Um, I think you know it, when it distracts me and I dislike it, it's because I'm seeing like either you know red or black, you know tux tux shirt studs going down into the vest, and it just looks odd. Yeah, so, I agree. But it's hard to avoid right now, just because the way the market is. So I get yep. it. Yep, but. It should be as plain as possible if they have the frilly. What's what's not frilly? I'm not looking for the word frilly. What word am I looking for? Ribbed, ridges. I don't know. Do you know what uh, I'm talking about? Yeah. Now I'm now it's causing my brain to misfire. Is it so. ribbed? I don't know. We'll call it no, ribbed. No, 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 no. Whatever. No, not yeah. Not uh, ribbed. Yeah. Whatever. But I know what you mean. We've the made stuff. a mess at the end of this video. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's this American whiskey. That's what's doing it. I'm letting I'm letting a, a new one kind of like gas off over here. So I'm going to I'm gonna try another one a little bit. Okay. It's gotten sweeter. It has gotten sweeter. Very good. All right, Mr. Mac, what do we got for the next peeps on the interwebs? All righty. So we have Curtis. I just got his first PV great kilt and he loves it. He's asking, is there a proper way to store a gray kilt, or doesn't it matter because it's basically a big blanket and just fold it up? Yeah, um, that's kind of easy one. Yes, it, there. No, it doesn't really matter. You're right. Just fold it up, especially with PV. Um, if it's wool, then you need to, you know, care for moths and that kind of stuff. Um, for PV, just um, if you if you wash it before you put it away, then Wash it, I would say, ideally, iron it flat if you can, um, and then just fold it gently and tuck it in a drawer. Done. Um, yeah, that's how I would do it. Mr. Eric. Yeah, I was going to say, we're, I think we've gotten that question before recently. I think it points to the fact that more and more guys are getting into wearing great kilts, which is cool. Um, but yeah, they're very forgiving because it is basically a big piece of fabric. Um, since, since we did cover that, I do want to, I might as well dovetail it with another question we had. Just uh, in case he's curious about this also. Um, AJ Piazza asked, he said that he had just gotten himself a uh, Smith Modern Tartan Fillmore. Uh, and he understands that it's basically just a big piece of cloth and that there's no sewing involved. But now he has the ends fray seemingly fraying or falling apart. And he's worrying how to mitigate that. He's not sure what the best approach would be. But what do you do about loose strings coming off of a great kilt? 
since we're talking about great kilt care. To, uh, to quote the great Weezer, if you want to destroy my sweater, pull this thread as you walk away. Um, that was the William mm. Shatner meets Weezer. Yeah, it meets avant-garde. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, ultimately, there it's not a big thing. Um, a great kilt is just a length of cloth. Cut on the end, you know, wrap it up, whippity-doo-dah all around you. Um, but it's, it's a woven piece of cloth. It's not knit. It is woven. So it's not like a sweater or something like that where you're going to pull a thread and it's going to unravel. It's just you're going to pull a thread and there's going to be a finite end to it. Like, and you can just, you know, effectively just toss it out. Um, a, as you, you end wash up with laundry, say again, right. you just end up with fringe then. Correct. Right? I was going to yeah. say, as you, as you pull out a thread or two, you're going to end up with a little bit of fringe on the edge not unlike the fringe on the edge of a, a, a regular kilt, a tailored kilt. Huh. It's so, almost like they were trying to trying to <clears throat> harken back to something that they knew about when they did huh. that. Almost. Hmm. Indeed. Hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't really worry about it. Um, if it really bothers you, I would pull like effectively a quarter inch to a half inch off. And then once that is pulled off, it's not really going to fringe anymore. My kilts that I have, that I wear every day, do not fringe any more than they already have been fringed. It's kind of locked right. into place. Um, right. The only other, if you don't like the look of fringe for some reason, the only other way to deal with it would be to actually hem the end or the edges of your kilt. Um, we've had this question on occasion because we've sold a lot more great kilt recently. We've noticed like a weird, crazy uptick in great kilt sales over the last year or so. Um, yeah. So we've had this question come across our uh, customer service area like 10 times maybe in the last year. So we're actually thinking about offering right on the great kilt page. You know, do you want your fabric cut? Do you want it fringed a little bit or do you want it hemmed? Um, you know, going, you know, up and down the bolt of cloth. Ultimately, it's up to you. It's not the end of the world. Yes, if you get it just straight cut, which is what we currently do, it's going to, a few of them are gonna pull out. It's not gonna right. unravel. There's not really a problem with it. If you want it fringed, it, we would fringe it effectively to a quarter inch, half inch kind of, you know, centimeter of fringing. Um, or if you want it hemmed, we would just, you know, roll it over twice, hem it straight down, call it done. Um, it's not how it would have looked, you know, a few hundred years ago. But it won't fray at all. So, mm -hmm. yeah, Mr. Eric, any thoughts? Um, no. I think honestly, I would I would let it fringe because I suspect that's just what they did back in the day. Um, it's they didn't have the same sensibilities about things that we do with this stuff because their clothing was made differently. You know, it, they didn't have manufactured, uh, you know, surged edges on things. For instance, they didn't have like the the, the precision that you see like the cuff of a t-shirt or something like this. Um, they weren't used to that level of mechanical precision, so um, you had very finely made clothes, don't get me wrong, but I don't think for something like a kilt they would have worried about it. Um, now, if there's an extant example of a Philomore out there that has some kind of a rolled hem or something on it, then by all means, somebody tell me about it. Um, but I don't think it was a big deal. Um, 
my take on storing a great kilt is the best way is to roll it up into a ball and scrunch it down in the back of your van left over from where you use it as a pillow when you fell asleep there at the end of a weekend event. That's how you store a great kilt. The wrinkles are for the memories. Yeah, as is the mud and the, the and straw. The and the musk. Yeah. The musk. Yep. Yeah, that, the, yep. the odor coming off. It's reminds little, you of little bits of haggis in there, you know. Little bits of meat pie crust, you know, in the folds. And you just kind of shake it out and remember what a good time you had. Uh, yeah. Nothing love, nothing ladies love more than a bit of musk <laughs> and bits of food all over you. Oh, it's funny, no, it's funny because, like, like reenactors, the, the the gag was if you wanted your your kit to look really good, you'd uh, you'd tie it behind your car and drive around with it, going off the back of your car for for a day, so they get destroyed properly. <laughs> you know, so. And I know people who still do that. You know, they'll abuse their stuff so it looks lived in before they go to do a reenactment. So, um, and yeah, I've, I've used strange things as pillows over the years. So, um, but the point is, it's a piece of cloth. It's tartan wool. It's very forgiving. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Indeed. Know? All right, Mr. Mac. Next question. Pretty please. All righty. <clears throat> so we have Tom asking... He says, my wife still is questioning me wearing a great kilt. Sounds like it needs a new wife. Um, she Oof. is not a fan. Um, should I wait for a special event like St. Patrick's Day to break out Did and wear the kilt in public? Or what's what's our thoughts? Uh, so, wait. If she doesn't uh, want him wearing it at all? She just, she doesn't like, she's not a fan. She doesn't. Okay. Now, okay. I'm, let's, let's, let's say this. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here a little bit. I'm assuming, and, you know, correct me if I'm... You said his name was Todd? Todd. Todd, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming your wife doesn't mind you wearing kilts. She just doesn't like the great kilt. If that's wrong, speak very, very, very quickly so that we can get it in there. Wearing wearing a kilt. He didn't specify a great kilt or five-yard or casual or anything like that. He just specified a kilt. Okay. So his wife doesn't like him wearing kilts. So this has nothing to do with great kilts. Correct. Does he wear a great kilt? Or am I just imagining you said that? I think you're imagining that. Flashback. He says, my wife still is questioning me wearing a great kilt. Questioning me wearing a great kilt. End of flashback. Okay. I need more scotch. <clears throat> so the wife doesn't like them wearing a kilt. Period. Um, all right. Got it. Um, the uh, What do you do when your wife doesn't like you wearing a kilt at all? Um, if she... I don't know. If, if, it's, it's, it's a weird territory where marriages... I used to say marriages should be 50-50, where, you know, it's 50-50. Then a friend of mine said, no, a marriage should be 100-100. It should be you 100% doing what the other person, you know, helping the other person, making sure they're comfortable, and they should be doing the exact same thing for you. Um, I would say it starts with open, honest communication with the wife. Um, if you're, if you love the kilt because it's a part of your heritage, and or you like being the peacock, or whatever your reason is for wearing it, I would have an honest discussion with her about that first. Not like when you're wearing it about to go out and she's fighting with you, no. Like over dinner, just or after dinner, say, look, 
I have a question for you. You know, I want to I want to talk a little bit about the kilt, what it means to me, and what your what your concern is, not issue, but what your concern is, why you don't like it, because I really do like it. It does mean something to me. And one of two things is going to happen. Either she will, she doesn't understand what it actually means to you, or you don't understand what it really means to her. Um, maybe she's insecure. Maybe she sees women coming up and talking to you while you're wearing the kilt and no other time, and she's just a little bit insecure inside about that. Maybe she just doesn't like you. Like You gotta figure out what the issues are. You have to lay it all out on the table before you decide you know, whether you're going to wear it or not going to wear it, whether you're going to push the button once a year, twice a year, 50 times a year. Um, you don't want your wife uncomfortable. A piece of clothing, I'm going to upset people by saying this, but I'll say it anyway. A piece of clothing is not necessarily something to get divorced over, but at the same time, there's something else there. There's a reason why she has said she doesn't want you wearing it. Is it, but you have to get to that concern and on the flip side, she may not know what you're really thinking, what your true emotions are on the thing. So you want to make sure she gets that too. It has to be an equal decision of why. And if her answer is, well, it's because, you know, you don't wear your wedding ring in public and women come up to you, then maybe an easy compromise is, fine, I'll put on my wedding ring when I'm wearing my kilt. So women know I am taken, or I'll only wear it when I'm with you, or whatever the case may be. But it's, honestly, I think it's probably a symbol of a potential deeper issue in the marriage. And I'm not trying to get all, like, marriage counselor on you. But you gotta, you know, dig at it a little bit and see what the actual base is of the concern. Because you don't want to alienate your wife, but at the same time, you don't want her alienating you. Mm. Eric. Yeah, I think that's that's basically what it comes down to. Um, my experience is that most women find men in kilts extremely attractive and very sexy. Um, however, there is a certain segment of women who feel it's not masculine. The, and it depends on what part of the world you're in, what part of the country you're in. Um, so sometimes when I hear this this concern, it's that um, the, the the woman in question is concerned about how the community may perceive the man wearing a kilt, wearing a skirt. Um, she may be concerned about some kind of public embarrassment like that uh, because she's been raised to believe that kilts are basically skirts and a man should not wear a skirt and therefore it's unmanly and therefore they're going to get flack from the community or something like that. Um, so sometimes it's their, it's her concern about the community perception. Sometimes it's a concern about family perception. And my brain is going to weddings because a lot of time this issue comes up with weddings where the guy wants to wear a kilt for a wedding and uh, the bride-to-be uh, is saying no, and I find it's usually because she's concerned about either the community or her family and how they're going to react to it because they're not acculturated to the kilt as a, a, a man's garment. Um, so that's just that's basically just detail on what you're saying. I mean, she's got some kind of an issue. I find a lot of time it's mostly community perception is the concern. Sometimes it's jealousy. Yeah, maybe, maybe she loves the kilt actually, and she thinks you'll look hot in it, and she's insecure. But a lot of time, it I find it's that uh, she's worried about, you know, your husband wears a skirt. You know, I mean, weird, you know, paranoia like that because it's nonconformist. 
you know, for, for as, as popular as kilts have gotten now, they're still, to a large extent, to, in a lot of this country, a non-conformist thing to do. And some people are very worried about that. Yeah, I think you uh, I think you hit it on the head with the family thing. That's something yeah. I wish I would have said, but I wasn't thinking about. Um, it's they're worried about the perception of others, 100%. You're right. Yeah, So I think so. Yeah. And maybe it maybe may there's a separate but equal solution. Like, basically, um, she'll learn to accept it if you're just going out with your friends to do something that she's not going to be there at. Um, I've had occasions with my wife where she's just been insecure because she felt she was underdressed. We go out and I'm in a kilt or something as simple as this outfit. And she's like, oh my God, you look so, so dressed up and so fancy and so cool looking. And I just, I'm just wearing like jeans and a t-shirt. I feel underdressed, you know? And, and so that can be a concern also. It doesn't usually, it doesn't ever, it doesn't ever, it doesn't usually come out as a, I disapprove of you wearing it. Um, it may be a question of though if you want to go out together make sure that some kind of a special occasion where she dresses up and is really putting on the dog in her own way expressing herself and you express yourself with a kilt and you're on a par and maybe that can help um it's either that or the separate but equal thing like okay i'll wear it but you don't have to be there i'm gonna go out to the pub on friday you don't even have to see me leave the house you know <laughs> put it on in the car later on no it's seriously either... i've known people who do that i have yeah, known people who have done that you gotta still teenagers you gotta sneak it you know <laughs> put it put it in your school bag and bring it to school then put it on um right or right. yeah now it's yeah you again you're hitting the nail on the head with the uh uh either a she's concerned what her family or people she know thinks or she's concerned what strangers think Maybe you can do something with one group, not the other like if she if it's strangers, maybe she cares less, maybe she cares more um or maybe, like Eric said, you just have to cut it out and say, you know, okay, if I'm going out by myself, I'm going to wear it. If it makes you uncomfortable, then I won't wear it with you. And then the more you wear it, the more she's going to go, fine, he's wearing it again. That's fine. Um, I'm, yeah. I, we're going to go out to dinner. Fine, he can wear it. Um, mm -hmm. Wear her down over time. There's something, there's something to that. And I think uh, some media exposure is a good thing, too, because Men in Kilts is on the air right now. Yeah, anybody who was an Outlander fan loves this show. Um, I have mixed feelings about it myself, but it's it's a nice travel log for Scotland, so it's very healthy for Scotland. Um, and, and it's basically these are these are guys going out and doing Scottish Celtic stuff, and they wear kilts a good percentage of the time. There are kilts all over the place now, so show her that it's not this freakish thing. It's actually much. It's it's never been more popular. You know, Agreed. so it's okay. Suck it up, Buttercup. <laughs> oh, Nicely, maybe don't say honey, that part. please. <laughs> <laughs> please, honey. Honey, I suck love you. I, I, I'd like to ask you to suck it up. Yeah, yeah. indeed. <laughs> All right, Mr. Was it was that Mac or was that you? That was a Mac. So this okay. one's mine. This one's all mine. All right. Just going to knock my drink over first. Very, very sweet now. I still get a very it, sweet. Yes, yes, it has gotten very sweet. Um, yeah. All right. So, Andrea McFile, uh, as well as uh, uh, you know that other guy who asked this question all the time, um, had both asked us. Uh, Andrea had asked us, uh, "What's the deal with uh, canes and walking sticks and stabs? Are these something that are quite common when wearing tweed suits with kilts? I see them all the time." At outside semi-formal Scottish events, you know, like Highland Games, I think she's thinking. 
and I'm wondering how traditional they really are. Uh, are there situations where you would take a walking stick or cane or staff and such? Or are there occasions where you definitely would not? What's the deal with Scottish walking sticks? Sporins, um, uh, you load sporins up with a lot of stuff. You have, you know, metal coins, you have your flask, <clears throat> you have your wallet, you have your cell phone, and it kind of weighs on the back. So a lot of Scots have a bad back. So they need a walk. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, it's, um, it, it's for some people, it's a bit of a necessity. Um, for other people, it's a bit of a, an accessory. It's not something that you need. It just looks cool. You like the, you know, the old timey thing, or if you're walking on uneven ground and you want a little bit of extra, you know, support slash, you know, you know assuredness for your feeding or for your footing. Um, mm -hmm. some guys just dig on walking sticks. Eric knows yeah. much more about it than I am. Than I yeah, do. I poked it. I poked at this a little bit because, um, it's something that the provenance of, of it, I've always been curious about myself. The, uh, I think the stick that she's uh, referring to is the uh, the Kromach, which is basically the the tall staff. Um, Kromach is basically a large walking stick with a hooked handle, uh, and you can you'll see clan lords and people just at events like you know leaning on them like this because they're very nice for that. Um, that is the traditional walking stick in Scotland. It basically is the uh, it's more of a fashion item now. It's more of a traditional decorative item. They, they're beautifully carved. Um, but they basically, it was, uh, usually made out of hazel, uh, so, you know, strong, but a little flexible, and they were the tool of shepherds and drovers. What I cannot put my finger on yet is how far back they go as a tool. I've always assumed that they were mostly 19th century, associated more with sheep herding, once sheep herding came into the highlands, as opposed to droving. But I have heard that they were used for both, basically the hook handle, just like you'd think with a shepherd, use it for, you know, encouraging an animal to move along. Um, they're also very effective in Scotland for hill walking because the ground is uneven. Um, going up and down, you know, the glens and up, up the hills, there's a lot of places where, you know, you can use a, a somewhat longer walking staff to get more leverage or to test, you know, the, the depth of a creek before you, you know, ford a creek. Um, and I believe some hunters will also use the top of a Carmack as a rest when they're shooting. So it's a multi-purpose tool. So that's the kind with the hook on it. The other kind which I just learned about though is um, and I'll, I'll butcher the Gaelic so please forgive me but uh, uh, Kograk or Kogak C-O-G-A-C-H and that is essentially the same kind of a stick but without the hook and all that really translates to the you know Kogak in Gaelic is war stick or fighting stick. It's a fighting staff. It's a slightly shorter than a traditional English uh, quarter staff, but it's a fighting staff. And if you were poor and, you know, the clan was raised to go out to fight, you didn't have anything else, you brought a stick. <laughs> that was it. So it was a personal defense weapon. Um, similar in that sense to the shillelagh, although the shillelagh is Irish and has its own traditions and customs and everything. Um, and is much more of a walking stick, walking stick length. You know. Uh, so those are the big three, though. The shillelagh, the kromach, and the kromach. Kromak, which is the, the, the shepherd's hook. Um, of the three of them, you know, the Kromak is the most beautiful and uh, is a fantastic accessory for a kilted outfit. It is definitely something you'd wear for um, outdoors at a festival or in the country. You would not use it in an evening occasion. You would not use it in town. Um, 
but for, for going around the hills or going out anywhere where there's grass, it's awesome. Um, some people think it's a mark of authority. It is at Highland Games. Basically, um, officials will almost always have one um, as a mark of their their status during the event, and it just makes it easier to find them uh, on the field. And, of course, clan lords and, and yeah, and, and chieftains, yeah, uh, chiefs and chieftains will have them as a, you know, just it's very regal. But technically, they're, it's not like they're the only ones who are allowed to wear them or use them. So if you are interested in one, go for it. Get one. They're fun. Um, some people will have issue as to whether you should carry a shillelagh if you're in Scottish clothing. Um, but I have seen people do it. Um, but yeah, I think that's the long and the short of it. Does that help? Yeah. Form follows function. If you need a yeah, walking exactly. stick, if you need, if you're on uneven ground, if you're, you know, if your back hurts, if you have bad knees, something like that, just use one period, whether it's Chromock, whether it's Shillelagh, period, just do it. It's, it doesn't yeah. matter how it, to some degree, it doesn't matter how it looks. Um, if you need it, you need it. Yeah. Or if you're worried about, you know, your enemy clan coming over the hill and you're not expecting it, then you got to have your stick yeah. with you. Ruffians, as it were. Yes, yes. Or if you're Irish, if you're Irish, then rival factions, faction fighting. That's, mm, that's a whole another topic. Quite. All right, Mr. Mac, who do we have out on the interwebs? Well, Rocky, before we get to our next question, uh-huh. I think we need to find out who is our. Hey, the camera went straight to me, which means I'm the one who's talking about this. All right, and Joel has some slides. Our ambassador this time is the amazing Patrick Hansen. He is a Canadian, I believe the first Canadian we've ever had who has been uh, an ambassador. Patrick grew up in Iowa. He has a bachelor's in music and piano from Simpson College, a master's from Kansas City University, and a fellowship opera coach standing from Juilliard. He basically teaches as uh, an opera conductor and uh, music teacher uh, in Canada. And uh, he teaches at the Schulich School of Music and also at McGill University in Montreal. And funnily enough, his music career is what got him into kilting. Uh, back in like uh, 2017, uh, his, uh, his school was doing a production of an opera uh, based on a uh, Sir Walter Scott story, which was... A few moments later... They were doing this production of this opera based on a Sir Walter Scott story, and the uh, the costuming called for tartan. They wanted to have kilts. They wanted to have tartan on stage, and the costuming department said that's going to be way too expensive. You know, there's no way we can do this. And so he came in to try and help them find a solution. They wound up getting some some cheaper cloth and some uh, some acrylic blend kilts, and they got like a whole chorus of thirty people in the kilts. But they needed somebody to test out the costuming, so they asked you know they asked Patrick, hey, could you come in and just try one of these things on, see how it looks. And that was the kiss of death, and he's been addicted ever since. Because he went in, tried the kilt on for the production, and he got hooked. Um, luckily, where he lives up in Canada, it's not hard to find kilts in um, in secondhand stores and stuff. You know, because you've got the, the the military tradition of them up there. You have a lot of you know Scottish uh, heritage people up there, so you can actually go into a thrift store. And I can't imagine this, but you can go into a thrift store and find kilts and sporns and stuff just in a thrift store. <laughs> So he very quickly developed a collection of like over a dozen kilts, and he's been a uh, 100% 24-7 kilter ever since. Um, he has a lot of anecdotes about what it's been like. Um, when he first started, the uh, the gag was that he did it to say, you know what, tell you what, for his wife, who was in a uh, an organization that raises funds for women's scholarships, 
Uh, he decided, I'll help out your organization by doing a fundraiser. I'll wear my kilt until the opera that I'm working on goes on stage at the end of January. You know, we'll see how many people will give me money for wearing a kilt every day between now and then. The problem is it worked too well. So he basically wound up uh, doing extensions on this wear a kilt for charity kind of a thing past January into June. People were still giving him money, still saying, come on, keep wearing the kilt. Here, have a donation. He wound up wearing kilts for a whole year and he raised over $4,000 for the scholarship organization. So um, he did it for a cause as well as his own passion, which is always awesome. We always applaud that. Um, and he's basically done, he's worn kilts in some places that some of us would never think to. Like, we have one image there. That's, that's Patrick basically, uh, hiking up to the Parthenon in Greece, in Athens. Um, he did that while he was also in Europe. He was in Bulgaria conducting an opera. He wore kilts the entire time, the entire five weeks he was in Bulgaria. And, uh, he, uh, uh, but he'd always wanted to climb the Parthenon. So he went from Bulgaria to Greece and climbed up in 107 degree weather to the top. And by the way, he also had vertigo at the time. So, and you know, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. And at the same time, he also had tourists thinking he looked awesome. Uh, so he had to stop all the time because people wanted to take his picture. So yeah, he's uh, he's in it to win it. And he's still going strong. He is now the kilted professor and his students love it. His staff love it. He does lectures and people just look forward to it. And it's become part of his persona. I asked him what his advice would be for people getting into this, and he said, um, essentially, don't try too hard. He said, basically, just get a kilt to start with that you like. Don't worry about being the correct tartan. Just get the kilt, get the sworn, and get going. Um, and he said, uh, he recommends the first time you go out, try going to a grocery store. He said, you know, a lot of time, including us, have said, you know, go out to a pub for the first time. And he said, no, 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 you know, you got drunk people and stuff there. Go to the grocery store. You know, people are a lot more chill at a grocery store, and you don't have to worry about people, uh, you know, getting weird because they haven't had a few drinks. Um, so that's his that's his advice on getting started in kilts. Um, and he says, uh, kilts make you a better person because you cannot be a jerk when you're wearing a kilt. You're always on display. You always have to display a good attitude. Um, he thinks kilts make people happy, and uh, you know, you 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 cannot be uh, a jerk wearing a kilt. So. That's, that's my ambassador this month, and I, I'm not doing his story justice, but Patrick is a, a swell guy, and I really appreciate that uh, he's gone whole hog into it. So, here's to you, Patrick. Sláinte. Indeed. The, uh, yeah, it's, I agree 100%. It's whenever you are wearing kilt out in public, you are on display. You are a, you know, yeah. the focal point of a lot of people. So, it's, it, you... A kilt makes you want to be a better man. It's to to paraphrase really Jack Nicholson or whatever from the or, yeah the uh, what was that movie it was in? Uh, you make me want to be a better man. You make me want to be a better man. I don't know. But it's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I don't know. <laughs> not not a line from that movie, but close. Um, right guy. The uh, yeah, it's. You're, you feel like you're, at least I do to some degree, you feel like you're, you're, you need to be better. You need to step yeah. up your game. It's almost a call yep. to arms. It's, yep. you know, you're wearing a kilt, you know, shoulders back, you know, head up, yeah. act like it. And, and part um, of it, part of it is that people will remember you. I mean, he's in an area where you're more likely to see guys in kilts than other areas because he's in Canada, he's in, you know, Ontario. Um, but still people will remember you. So if you are a jerk to them, they're going to remember that the guy in the kilt was a jerk. Pants equal anonymity. Kilts do not, at least not right yeah. now. 
and that's worldwide so. as well. I mean, going over to Athens, going like wherever, it's you are a uh, you're an ambassador of of everything yep. you know, of your of your culture, of your heritage, of your kilt, of whatever. So yeah, it's I dig it. It's well, it's it's it, there's positives to it too. Like he, one of the things he told me was when he was in Bulgaria, there was one night where he and some other people from the opera were walking home, and uh, this gang of guys, like a street gang looking group of guys like they look like skinheads or something you're just like you know coming down the street and this woman he was was like just like oh my god they're coming right at us and they came, came marching up the street and i'm like and he's like good evening and they're like hey can we get your picture <laughs> and so this entire this street gang of, of teenagers you know pose with with patrick for a photograph just you know like yeah we're with the guy with the kilt um and then afterwards the woman he was, was like <clears throat> I thought you were gonna get mugged. I thought you were gonna get killed. Oh my god! You know, and it's like no, they just they dig the kilt. You know, that's punk AF. Oh yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's uh, it really it's a ama- it's an amazing garment. You know, agreed. The yeah. the the wonders of the kilt. Mm-hmm. Quite all right, Mr. Mac. Who do we got next up on deck, on the interwebs? Alrighty, we have Chuck. He's been uh, getting a lot of swatches lately, and he's noticed some variations on thread counts among the mills, even in a common weight. Why would a mill use different thread counts? How far can you deviate from the registered thread count to be considered a different tartan? Um, you can you can deviate pretty far. Um, <clears throat> a a tartan is defined by the thread count. But it's also by the look. I mean, if you think of it this way, if you take Royal Stewart, Tartan everybody knows, and you increase it, you're gonna put it on the side of a building. So you increase it to the 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 set size of you know 25 feet per set. Not <laughs> not eight inches, 25 feet. Or you reduce it down to a micro set of you know two inches of set size it's still Royal Stewart. It's not a brand new tartan on the side of the building because you've stretched the image out over 25 feet. It's not a brand new tartan because you've shrunk it down. So it really just boils down to, does it still look like the tartan? It's the old the old copyright claim of, does it look 10% different or is it the same thing, just bigger or smaller? It's the same thing. So if you take a set of McGregor and you say okay this one is 6.7 inches and this one is 7.3 inches it's still McGregor it doesn't matter whether it's a little bit bigger a little bit smaller it's still the same tartan mm-hmm. Eric? yeah I was gonna say I think we've talked about this before that the the thread count is uh, is a tool it's a very handy tool it's a shorthand um, that you can use for uh, communicating what a tartan is like if you can't show a picture of it. Um, that always reminds me of uh, the terminology used in heraldry. Uh, in heraldry, you would you, there was a very set code with how you describe, you know, a lion rampant field or, and they had this codified way of describing the colors and the stances and the shapes and everything. And that, that it's, it's, a, it's a, a mechanical record-keeping tool. Um, so if you've never even seen a tartan before, you could read the colors, read the thread count, and you could create it if you've never seen it before. Which is very useful, but it's a shorthand. It's not. It's not 
biblical, you know, law that you, if you violate, your kilt is going to burn up in hell. I don't know. I don't and the I'm Lord gonna... God say unto thee, the thread count for royal Stuart. Right. Um, now, it's, I, I happen to have, we're going to do another question in a little bit that I have some props for, but I can use them now. Mm. Um, <clears throat> this is the uh, Kilts and Culture Tartan. This is 16-ounce wool. This is 11-ounce polyviscose. They're slightly different colors, but if I line up the white stripe up top here, it's different on the bottom. In the 11-ounce PV, it's a little bit smaller, but it doesn't matter because it's it's thin thinner threads that make up 11-ounce cloth versus 16-ounce cloth. So it's one of those where, you know, these two things, if you walked up to them on the street and someone was wearing this and someone was wearing this, they would be like, oh, you're wearing the same tartan. Slight color variation, slight set size variation, but it's the same tartan. That's the point. Right. So it right. doesn't really matter whether it's exact or really close. It's just, does it look the same to somebody at you know 10 feet? Does it look like the tartan? Then it's the tartan. Yeah, the thread counts to show you proportion. They're a way of expressing proportion numerically. Indeed. That's a much more eloquent way of saying it than I did. All right, Mr. Eric, who do we have up next? Hey, who do we have up next? Let's see. Um, <laughs> where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? PV versus wool one? Yeah, I'm trying to find it now on my list here. There it is. Rob Easy. I'm not sure if that's the pronunciation, but I'm gonna I'm gonna guess it's Rob Easy. Uh, said, can you show the difference between PV and wool? What is the difference between polyviscose cloth and wool cloth, Rocky? If only that we had a way to show them. Hmm. All right. <clears throat> the difference between polyviscose and wool. Um, polyviscose fabric is man-made, machine washable, um, and it's generally the stuff that we get anyway is about 11 to 12 ounce. Wool can come in 10 ounce, 11 ounce, all the way up to like 16, well, really much lower and much higher. And 20, the, the, yeah. the, the typical stuff from the mills in the UK are 10, 11 ounce on the low end and 16 ounce or so on the high end. Now, what does that mean practically? This is 16 ounce wool. This is 12 ounce polyviscose. This, the set size is a little bit larger because the individual yarns, the threads that go into weaving this cloth are thicker than the threads that go into this. We can increase this thread count a little bit so that it looks and that the, the set size matches this one, but you don't have to. Um, hand, like stiffness wise, um, this is, the PV is a tiny bit floppier than 16 ounce, but it's not, substantially so. The main difference is in the feel. You can feel wool. Wool feels like wool. The PV right. th feels like a very, very thick cotton. Like if you think of your, the thickest bed sheets you've ever had, the highest thread count Egyptian cotton, and then mm -hmm. double it. That's effectively what this feels like. It feels like super thick cotton, but it's a man-made machine washable fabric. Now, just to show you the difference between this and this in the same weight. <clears throat> this is polyviscose McGregor Modern. This is wool McGregor Modern. And the set size, now the milk may have monkeyed with the thread count to be the same. 
The thing that I want to point out is the uh, uh, the twill lines, the little diagonal lines, um, the twill lines of 11 ounce cloth, whether it's wool or polyviscose, if the thread count is the same, the twill lines are going to be a little bit less pronounced than let's say 16 ounce cloth. In 16 ounce, the individual yarns are going to be thicker. Therefore, the diagonal lines, the twill lines of the fabric are going to be a little bit more pronounced. You're going to be able to see them a little bit better. Here's oh, wow. the twill lines from wool. Here's PV. You know what I can see though? The sheen. There's a different sheen to them because there's more of a nap on the wool than on the PV. So I can see the way the light was playing off them was a little different. Correct. I would I would actually go the other direction with it and say the sheen from the PV, it's a man-made fabric. Therefore, it mm. is going to be a little bit more reflective, like like minor, minor, minor degrees, but a little bit more reflective in man-made fabrics, acrylic, PV, whatever the man-made fabric is versus wool. It's going to be a little bit more matted kind of thing. But the mm. main difference is going to be in the the size, the thickness of the twill lines, and to some degree, the uh, uh, the size of the set, if the thread count is exactly even, but it's never exactly even. Each mill is going to pick, like even like the center, uh, the center white stripe in this. Martin Mills for for this one may have picked six for their center thread, and you know Lock Karen 11 ounce may have been eight. They may have done, you know, 68 red threads across this, this section right here, where Martin Mills may have only done 56. So it's, it's as long as it looks similar, looks the same, proportionate, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching my Photoshop image here, proportionate to the actual design, that's all that really matters. It's not the thread count so much as long as it's proportionate to the thread count. There you go. Eric, any thoughts? Ta-da. Um, no. I mean, my, my, my brain goes to the practicality of which cloth you choose. And as we often say, that's going to depend on the context. You know, it depends on your budget to some extent. And it's going to depend on where and when and how you want to wear the kilt. So if you yeah. want something for hiking in, you know, in August, you're doing a through hike on the AT, go with the PV. If you want something for going to a burn supper and for wearing in cooler weather... Uh, and that's the perfect, beautiful representation of your tartan. It just has that lush, you know, thick, heavy feel to it. and has a great swish when you walk. Then go with the wool. Yep. Heavier wool, yep. not lighter wool. Heavier Less wool, swish. not lighter wool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. All right, Mr. Mac. You guys didn't bring up the fact that today was National No Pants Day. Well, maybe if you had told us sooner, Mac, we <laughs> could have done that. For the record, here in Spring City at 3389 Schuylkill Road, every day is No Pants Day. Right. So it's right. really, it's a non-event to us. Yep. Yep. Psh, no Pants Day. Psh, you keep your fake holiday, pal. <laughs> it's No Pants Year. Right. It's No right. Pants Life. Or like segment of life because I wore pants at some point. But mm -hmm. well, how's the meme go? Life is more fun when nobody's wearing pants. Exactly. Like now the relationships. Relationships, relationships are, more are fun better when, no when nobody's wearing pants. pants. Yes, right. indeed. Right. All right, Mr. Mac. Alrighty. So this may be a slightly bit more in Eric's wheelhouse, but I'll I'm gonna throw it out there. Uh -oh. Um, Cody's asking, 
Does a difference in how a family name is spelt matter when determining a clan association? Nope. Next question. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> um, but essentially, uh, spelling is a very modern convention. Standardized spelling, I should say. It, it really only goes back to like the mid-19th century, if you want to be serious about it. So, um, yeah, and you'll have differences between um, Gallic spellings and Anglicized spellings, and then you have difference between original, this is how we spelled it in the old country on our you know, church records, versus how they misspelled it or wrote it down in shorthand when they crossed over at Ellis Island. Um, so, no, spelling, specific spelling does not make a difference. Um, there may be some minor exceptions to that, but as a general rule, <clears throat> excuse me, you, the, the, the variances are, uh, they're just survivals of the, the name being used and written down in various ways over time. Yep, and that's it? on our website. That's the reason why we have a lot of uh, multiple spellings um, for yeah. the same name because we want to make sure that you know you're from a uh, from a from a sales standpoint as cheesy as this is the uh, we want to make sure that you're we're capturing people who have McDonald McDonald like all the different spellings of it um, because it it didn't matter nearly as much mm -hmm. as it does now so it's yeah. yes it's all part of the same thing again with some exceptions. And, but it's a, it's a common question. It confuses people all the time because we are raised to think yep. that there's a difference, you know. But um, most of the time, it's not. It's it's usually the biggest difference is whether is whether it's an attempt at the original Gallic uh, spelling versus an anglicized version of the name. Yep. It, Nine no, times my out name of is my name is Ramsey with an E Y, not an A Y. Is this still my tartan? I want a tartan for mine. It's it's the same tartan. Right. It's still Ramsey. Right. It's okay. You're you're not dishonoring your heritage. You're not your ancestors are not rolling over in their graves. It's the same same thing. Well, they might be rolling over, but it'd be for other reasons. It's very yeah. true. Yeah, something to do with that cow that happened back then. Yeah, we don't talk about that <clears throat> quite. All right, Mr. Eric, next question, sure. pretty please. Okay. All right. Yeah, back to the my page two here. Um, uh, our friend Wynn Decker, who you may remember was an ambassador a few months ago. His wife has lupus, and he designed and wears the lupus awareness tartan. Um, by all means, check out that video on our uh, YouTube channel if you're curious. Um, if you know anybody who is suffering from lupus, or if you yourself have it, there's support for you. Reach out. Get the message out there that these people matter and have needs. End of sermon. Um, and Windecker's a cool guy. Uh, his question this time, though, had nothing to do with lupus. Um, saying, I'm an American with African-American mother and Scottish heritage father. Regarding combining different cultures and different aspects of personal heritage in an outfit. Okay. Could you make or wear a kilt or accessories, you know, other parts of an outfit using... For instance, African cloth or incorporating other traditional African cultural items into the outfit. Um, he's, you know, looking at how popular the kilt in the Coming to America movie was and how that inspired a lot of people, including us. Um, how do you how do you combine two different cultures into one outfit, uh, particularly a kilted outfit? Is there is there a right or wrong way to do it? Um, an anecdote of this, um, an example of this being done. 
a company called Kilted Bros out of Ohio back in 2019 did a limited run of these kilts where they basically took uh, an African print cloth. Uh, some people have described it as kente cloth. It is technically not. It is a different uh, type of cloth from a different region. Uh, but they did it as insets into uh, some of their kilts after the owner of the company met uh, and befriended a woman at a, uh, a cultural festival and they got talking and she said, hey, I've got this extra cloth. Um, would you be interested in using it for something? And he said, hell yeah. And so they did a limited run of this kilt uh, using the African cloth. Um, so that's an example of one way you could do it with a very, very modern kilt. And Joel, you can take that down now. Um, unfortunately, you cannot get those kilts anymore. Sorry, and Kilted Bros sadly went out of business because of COVID uh, affecting the economy in their area. But anyway, yeah. how would you do it? <clears throat> what are other ways to do it? Is there a right or wrong way to do it? There's, uh, I've seen it done. I've seen it not done. Uh, there, there's differing, differing opinions on it, and there, it's a sliding scale. Um, one end of the scale, you have uber traditionalists who will say, no, don't do it. By doing both, you're dishonoring both. You're not honoring, you know, your, uh, your African heritage as well as your Scottish heritage. You're, you're not, you're, you're neither fish nor fowl. You're kind of in the middle. Don't do it. On the other end of the scale would be people who would want to do both 50-50 outfit, you know, African top, you know, Scottish bottom or something to that effect. Um, I, I kind of fall somewhere in the middle, my personal opinion on it. So, you know, again, one man's opinion. This is not, you know, the Bible. This is my opinion, only my opinion. Highland wear in general, kilt, Scottish stuff, is about being understated while overstated you're gonna get attention. You're wearing, you're a man wearing a skirt, period, end of story. People are going to look at you. You're wearing tartan. Oftentimes they are colorful tartan. You are gonna get attention. So the rest of the outfit, whether it's the jacket, whether it's the sporin, whether it's the, the whatever it is, generally it's about being understated. So a, a plainer day sporin, a plainer kilt pin, a plainer jacket. Um, in my opinion, a going 50-50 kind of detracts from it a little bit because the kilt should be effectively the centerpiece. And you're, 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 you're fighting yourself by trying to split it down the middle. If I was going to, let's say I'm, you know, uh, I'm half African, half Scottish heritage. I personally would probably wear a, if I'm wearing a kilt, I would wear a minor part of the outfit, whether it's the kilt pin, whether it's a belt buckle, whether it's a hat, something minor to honor that part of the heritage or just give a nod to it, but keep in full tradition with the rest of it. On the other side, maybe I would wear a full, you know, African outfit, but I would have a, 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 a Scottish bonnet or a cap badge or one minor thing or a tartan necktie if I'm wearing a dress shirt, I don't know. Um, something minor to kind of as a nod to the other part of my heritage. I wouldn't go straight 50-50 mix. I would do 90-10 with a nod, but a full recognition of the other. And then I would swap depending on the circumstance. If I'm at a, a, a an African-American event or if I'm at a Native American event or whatever, then I would go more that direction and with a nod to the other side. If I'm at a burn supper, I would go full on Scottish heritage with a nod to my African. It's 
it's kind of a, a, a mixture of the two respectfully without trying to be a caricature of both simultaneously. It, it, I find that more difficult than doing a minor nod with a major thing. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, I talked with I talked with Wynn about it a little bit because um, we chat on Facebook sometimes. And I also talked to uh, our friend Aiden, who is uh, Scottish Heritage and Cherokee. Um, and what I came away with was, um, Aiden has some very interesting perspective on this, which I'll get to in a second, was that I think you need to decide what part of the outfit you want to do the talking. Um, we always talk about in Highland wear that there's always going to be a part of the outfit that is going to grab the attention. And a lot of time it's, you know, for instance, the sporin is the signature piece. So I think that becomes more important if you're just deciding to combine themes from different cultures. You got to decide, um, do you want you know, the, the, the kilt to be the center of attention, like you said, or when and I talked about, you know, could you wear a kilt with a dashiki shirt? And I said, hmm, I'd be really busy trying to mix dashiki, uh, you know, patterns with tartan, you know, crisscross plaid grid. Um, that might be a little bit much. And I'd said, you know, I would probably decide, you know, if I was going to do the dashiki shirt, I'd want to make the kilt more subdued and let the shirt do the talking. Um, and he showed me one shirt design, which was, uh, as opposed to the all-over all prints, it just had the decoration around the collar. And I was like, you know, that reminds me of 19th century military tunics. So, in a sense, because you got the color braided up here and then empty, just solid color here, and then the kilt, that could work. You have some separation, like we always talk about. You want know, to have separation between your tie and your kilt. You know, that could possibly work. But you got to decide what's going to do the talking, what's going to be the main focus of attention. Um, trying to do a 50-50 split and try and give all the pieces all the attention all the time could wind up being a dog's breakfast. Um, I think there's a lot of room for creative expression with this stuff, and and I, there's there's so much room for growth with this thing. And I've seen, um, like, again, going to the, the, the kilt that was in Coming to America, if if guy if those went into mass production, I would think it was freaking awesome. It's, just, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful expression, and it's just so cool. Um... But yeah, it's you, you gotta you gotta take a like we say with any outfit, you gotta take a step back and decide you know when is it gonna be too much. Um, when you're talking about African or Indian, um, uh, you know India Indian, not Native American fashion. Native a lot American. Of time, yeah, well, I'm, I'm making a point about color. Color and pattern are extremely important and very very bright. So my inclination is gonna be to because of that, let those pieces do the talking. Um, they are just naturally much bolder a lot of time than tartan is, frankly. Um, so I'd go for a darker kilt, you know, or a simpler kilt, like a shadow tartan or a solid color, and let those other pieces do the talking. Conversely, like you said, go the other way, let the kilt do the talking, and use accent pieces. Um, uh, when mentioned they had a, a, a Mende tribe, tribal mask they has in his collection. And these are like wooden carved masks used for ceremonials, and now they sell them as tourist items, too. Um, they're awesome, and that shrunk down could be an awesome kilt then, or a buckle. I mean, hell, man, you know, crossed, cross spears or, or, you know, like, you know, Zulu shielded stuff, if you're from that area, there's so much art that would make an awesome buckle. <laughs> you know, again, it would rock. So, but what do you want to do the talking? What do you want to be the main emphasis of the outfit, would basically be my take on it. Aiden's perspective was that... You will, you will, you do have to consider the context, like you said. He's done, uh, outfits for powwow where he's done dances, where he's used his uh, Crawford tartan kilt, um, along with, you know, Cherokee 
uh, ceremonial dress. And uh, occasionally some people in the Native American community and the tribal community have gotten frustrated with that because from their perspective, the kilt is a white culture thing. Therefore, it's a colonial thing. You know, it's a colonization thing. So it doesn't belong here. So his point was, make sure that you're in a context where people get it. You know, so he said there are certain powwows he'll go to and use that outfit and they're totally down with it because they understand what he's doing and they understand the history because there was a lot of interaction between the Cherokee and the Scots in America. There's a whole book about it. Um, those people get it and they think it's cool because he's representing all of his ancestry at one time. Other people, if they don't know him, will be like, what are you doing, bro? You know, so know your audience, I guess would be the other thing. And on... As always, I'll say, don't overthink this. I'm giving you all this freaking detail, and the bottom, is, bottom line is going to be trust your gut. You know? Yeah. The thing that I find amusing or, or interesting, for lack of a better term, is the in every cultural heritage type field, whether it's Native American, whether it's Japanese, whether it's Scottish, whatever it is, there will always be gatekeepers. There will always be purists who will say, right. no, you must do it this way, only this way. And th I find the Aiden story about the uh, uh, Native Americans, you know, you know, you know, kind of raising their eyebrow at you know, his outfit. That is the thing I find most interesting from this is that it's not just a, you know, purist Scottish thing or a purist you know, American, Native American thing, purist Japanese thing. It's there's always going to be those people, no matter the culture. That's the part that I kind of, I find interesting that no matter how far apart we all are, there are certain things that are just innate, um, mm -hmm. and there will always be those people, <laughs> those yeah. people, um, no matter the context, and and everybody has them, and then there's always going to be button pushers. There will always be people who want to stretch the boundaries. No, no matter whatever the context is. So it's yeah. it's it's no. neat to see different cultural contexts, but the same thing, same issue, just from ten different angles. Yeah, I'll say I'll say that if you're coming from a place where your culture um, has occupied a place of oppression, where if you've you've been victimized for a long time, you have every right to be sensitive and concerned about this. You know, but but yes. but uh, there's also but. Your personal expression, expressing your heritage and ancestry, you know, that's got to be a personal decision. Eric, one thing uh, that some people in the comments have said was uh, maybe doing something tooled on the sporn with Hell the yeah. leather work there yeah. could could incorporate something that way. Oh, yeah. That's dude. a great sporn design is a fantastic way to do this. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely laser etched sporins whether it's a you know native american piece of you know art for the kilt pin instead of a regular there's there are mm -hmm. literally mm -hmm. hundreds of ways to incorporate minor accent pieces into an outfit that would that are just awesome that don't overtake the entire outfit mm -hmm. yeah i think i think like the uh, and getting back to the african fabrics check this out i could imagine a lot of those fabric patterns being because a lot of them you could reduce Reduce the saturation to just the pattern would be great for tooling leather. And you could still, for a lot of them, recognize, oh, that's that. That's from that region. You know what I mean? So, yeah, something as simple as that, you know? It's, cool. uh, yeah. Or, or use one of those as a necktie, <clears throat> you know, so the colors are there, but it's just a splash of the pattern, you know? So you have a tartan that has a similar color scheme. I could see doing that. 
But I believe in wearing paisley neckties with a with a tartan kilt, and you do not. You're one of those. I'm one of those. But yeah, no, Mac, they're they're right. Yeah, you, um, there's a lot of creativity out there. So absolutely. Yeah. All right, Mr. Mac. All right, so Rocky, maybe you can touch on this. Um, now that the world is moving in a slowly opening direction. Um, a lot of people are asking on here, uh, festivals this year, are we looking at doing anything like that? Um, uh, store the hours or, you know, can they come visit us? So maybe you can touch on a little bit of that. The, uh, uh, currently we have the, uh, our retail store is by appointment only. Um, and for the, moderate foreseeable future it's by appointment only that being said appointments are pretty freaking easy to make i mean literally yeah. call like before you come and just say hey i'm planning on being there in two hours is it cool if i show up um 99.9 percent .9 of the time the answer is sure come on in um even if you know worst case scenario you got here because you were driving past on your way to gettysburg and you figured oh shoot i wanted to stop in usa kilts call when you get here and as long as there's not 10 other people in the store or 20 people in the store we'll let you in it's not a big deal um festivals are starting to open up um to varying degrees of success slash openness uh, um the ones that are later in the year a la um Celtic classic um are going to be hopefully you know bigger more open you know you wear your mask but everybody come out drink have a good time um, get a little slit in your mask and drink your beer through there. Um, but uh, I'm not sure what is going on currently. Frankly speaking, we don't really do that many festivals. We only do Celtic Classic and Celtic Fling. Um, I don't think we're doing Celtic Fling this year, hopefully next year. Yeah. Um, but Celtic Classic is one the end of September that we are planning on doing. So, yeah, I would say for the most part, thank God we are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel slash... The light is like on the sides of the tunnel. We're near the end um, for outdoor public events. So, you know, keep, you know, doing what you do. Keep being safe. Keep you know, doing your hand sanitizer thing. But get out there, do stuff. Vendors need it. People need the money. You know, small yeah. business needs it. The musicians really need it. Um, so when you go to a festival, I don't care what festival it is, Celtic or not, blues festival, whatever, buy the CD of the people that are there playing the music. Buy a t-shirt yes. from the band. I don't care if you wear t-shirts or not. Buy the freaking t-shirt and give it to somebody else. Support these people because they need it. And you want them there next year when everything is back to full on normal. So give them money now so they come back. Support the festival, support all of it so that it's there when we return to normal. You don't want the stuff to go away, period. Yep. Yep, absolutely. There's my, there's my sermon for today. That's a good one. I, I approve completely. There's a you know a little bird told me that we might actually be doing some kind of a live presentation at Classic if things go well. Ooh. Yeah. Watch so I, this yeah. space. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. We're not being paid, but we're being told get on stage and dance <laughs> for us, monkey boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're actually going to be doing a pretty cool thing up at Celtic Classic. Um, they have an opening spot. We had toyed around with doing something last year. Kind of canceled. Little, little pandemic thing kind of happened. Um, but uh, I was talking to Jane up there, and she said, yeah, you know, we have a spot open this time to this time. I think it's is it Saturday morning, is it? I don't even know. 
whatever day, yeah. someday, check your listings. Um, we're going to be doing a thing, uh, Kilts and Culture live on stage. We will not be live streaming it. This is, will be an event where you will physically have to be there. You'll be able to throw stuff at us. I mean, eggs, rotten tomatoes, the whole nine. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, now, we're going to be doing a live, first live studio audience, Kilts and Culture. It will either be spectacular or horrible. I'm not sure which. Spectacularly horrible. <laughs> a little bit, little bit of column yeah. A, a little bit of column B. Yeah, pretty much. Um, pretty much. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So hopefully it goes off without a hitch. Knowing us, it won't. So it will be a spectacular <laughs> failure, and I will love every second of it. So, be, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great weekend. It's yeah, yeah. Just being out yeah, in public, seeing people, you know, right. Indeed. Indeed. Speaking right. of Celtic festivals, uh, Jonathan King asked us, with festivals starting to open and planning, you know, planning to open again, and, and the fact that he himself is going to be attending his first festival this year, okay, Kilted, um, first ever time going to a festival and first time Kilted there, um, what should he do, and more importantly, what should he not do when he's at a Celtic festival. Okay. Let's start. Okay, Celtic festival. What do you do? What do you not do? Let's start off. Start off with clothes. Then we'll go to ancillary things. Mm -hmm. So clothing. Um, dress for the weather. Period. Um, if it's going to be hot, maybe not wear a cap. Maybe wear a lighter colored cap. Don't wear something wool. Um, if it's going to be cool. You know, fall, early spring, maybe do wear a cap. Maybe we do wear a wool flat cap or, a, you know, a, a Glengarry or a bonnet or something. Um, Shirt-wise, if it's going to be cool, dress appropriate, wear a jacket, you know, a, either a tweed jacket or something like that. If it's going to be midsummer, July, August, hot, sun beating down on you, you know, golf shirt, you know, performance polo kind of thing, T-shirt, depends on how much you sweat. Um, for the kilt, for the, you know, kilt, Wear your kilt, period. Um, for the kilt hose, if it's going to be hot, um, you know, maybe cotton hose, or if you're not too warm of a person, you know, you could wear wool hose or just, you know, regular, you know, crew socks. Footwear, if it's, if you're wearing a tweed jacket and vest, maybe wear a pair of ghillie brogues or something like that. If it's, a, a, a polo or something more casual if it's going to be hot if you're going to be standing on concrete maybe wear a pair of sneakers all day you know dress it down dress appropriately for the occasion Eric yeah I would say um, uh, managing heat and managing sun exposure um, are key with going to any outdoor event you know any any concert or any festival or anything so hydrate uh, make sure you eat properly have a couple of snacks in your bag um, you're going to be standing in line a lot. The food, the food can be amazing, but it's good to have. It's good to have some. Well, you know. Okay, sorry. I thought you covered the clothing so well. Oh, you know. thank you. Shucks. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a believer in some in keeping it simple for festivals. Um, I would wear this. This is a pretty basic daily outfit for me. You yeah. know, so this is some. This is the kind of thing I would wear to uh to a festival in a heartbeat. Except I would probably. Um, I'd break protocol a little bit and have a hat with a brim if I was worried about the sun because, you know, skin cancer runs in my family. I really don't need any of that happening. 
Um, yeah. but but yeah, dress for the weather. Wear sunscreen. Yeah. I yeah. would. Here's. I'm. I'm going to give a really weird. Uh, a few weird ones. Um, one. Know where the restrooms are. If you're at a festival, right, and you're drinking beer or you know a lot or you know coffee or whatever, whatever your drink of choice is, know where the restrooms are. Um, two. I will, I'm going to give my old camping hack. Sorry for people who are, you know, a, a bit sensitive to this, but I'll say it anyway. Um, if you're concerned about the restrooms, not, you know, the number one, but number two, take an Imodium the morning of. If you're going to be eating spicy foods, if you're going to be eating things that, you know, may go through you, or you're concerned about, you know, going in public, going in, in, in porta potty kind of stalls, take an Imodium. You're done till the end of the day. You're good. It's it's a life hack. Sorry, saying it anyway. Um, the uh, but yeah, food. I would say if uh, you're if you're trying to be cheap, for lack of a better term, you know, have a large breakfast or have a large lunch right. before you go, so you don't have to spend as much money on food. That being said, after the pandemic, you want to support small business. You want to support the local artisans. Then maybe find spend a, plan on spending a little bit of extra money on food, on drink, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Buy the cotton candy for the kids. Buy the treats. Buy the ice. Buy what, whatever it is. Buy a little. Spend a little bit extra this year, in particular, in 2022 and beyond. If you want to, you know, save a little bit of money, eat before you go, um, and maybe you know, bring a flask so you don't have to buy as much alcohol. But you know, buy a beer or two while you're there too. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any problem with pre-gaming a little bit, but um, part of the experience... God knows we do. <laughs> yeah, part of, part of, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, part of the experience is definitely the festival food and, and the drink. Yeah. You know, so so I'm all about that. Uh, but my concern is um, at a bigger venue, standing in line or rushing from one end of the venue to the other to get food before the next concert or the next lecture or the next whatever it is happens. Um, sometimes you think you're going to eat and you don't, or you're you're waiting in line for a long time because everybody wants the haggis the the haggis burgers. You know the haggis burgers are the awesome thing this this year, and it can be a while. So uh, I'm a big believer in having some snacks uh, to keep your energy up. You know. Yeah. Um, also, I, I have kids. Like I'm, yeah. I'm so I'm, I'm used to carrying extra rations just in case. Like you know, my kid is just like, I'm hungry. And I'm just like here. You know, here's some rations until we get to where we're. Shut gonna up eat. and eat this. Yeah, and and absolutely hydrate, um, yeah, like that. So I'm gonna say so. Uh, we could talk about all kinds of little things you could bring as hacks and stuff, but um, I think the etiquette question is a good one too, like the behavior question. And I had some thoughts on that, but what do you think? You want to go first on that part? No, go ahead. Shall I dive in? Okay. Things I thought of that you should never do at a festival. One, don't bug the musicians between performances. Especially like bagpipers or bagpipe bands when they're rehearsing. Um, don't go up to a piper and start trying to talk to them about piping when they're obviously trying to tune their instrument. Okay, they're off behind the tent doing the eh, or, eh, eh. leave them be to do what they need to do. Unless um, it's between sets for like if a band is selling CDs after their set. No, that's, then that's the appropriate they, time, if, obviously. Yeah, yes. if, they, if they are planning on being on display and interacting with their audience, then that's different. But I'm talking about. Give them their personal space when they're not performing or where they're not on, okay? Yeah. Um, because I've been on the receiving end of that um, doing demos at, at festivals. You know, the S my SCA group used to do demos 
um, and you sometimes you just felt like you never got a rest. You know, you never got a chance to recoup between going out and doing your thing. So, you know, be be mindful that they're they're there for the whole day and it's exhausting. Two, do not try to affect a funny accent. Um, do not try to put on your best Irish or Scottish brogue or something and go around like, oh, sure, boy, oh, I sure love it, do love it here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is tacky as hell, in my opinion. Um, don't do that. Um, pick up your litter. Don't just drop things. Just take the extra few feet and go to the freaking trash can and, and drop drop your trash where it belongs. Um, what else? Uh, oh, the one um, thing. Ask. Let me. I got. This is the the, the, the one major thing. If you're going to take somebody's picture, ask first, please. Okay. Don't just don't just do the. You know, that's rude. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not taking your picture. I'm not. I'm not doing the under your kilt picture. Um, yeah. Come on, you know, you know, be, make it an occasion, make it a, a, a social interaction that the other person can enjoy, or has the opportunity to say, you know, I really don't want to right now. Be polite be about photography. About yeah, yeah. Be honorable, be honorable about photography. Ask, you know, just straight up ask. Be, you know, stand up, do the right thing. Yep. Um, yep. The only other thing I would say is, uh, uh, kind of a little bit of a tangent is res respect people's time. Um, yeah. if you're in a vendor booth and you see that this is, this is my, I won't say personal bugaboo, but my, my thought goes to this. If you're in a vendor booth and it gets crazy busy and there's 10 people come in and you're not really going to buy anything. You're just talking about your, your favorite topic or your favorite beer or whatever. Make sure they're okay. Still talking to you. Same thing with a musician. Make sure that you're not, um, your excitement for a topic isn't spilling over so much that they're feeling uncomfortable to get out of the conversation because they have something else to do or other things to attend to. Or if you catch a musician on the way to the bathroom between sets, right. let right. the man or the woman pee. Like that's, that's, That respect, goes with what I was saying earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Respect yeah. people's time, period. Respect the event. Respect the fact that people vendors musicians are there to make money they're there to help a hundred other people not just you but at the same time you want to interact with them you want to have your good time and they want to help right. you too but it's just right. a balancing act so i got i got some more i got some more okay um you may or may not decide you need them but take some earplugs just in case a concert or something turns out to be a little bit too loud for you especially for the kids yes yeah, especially for the kids um bring a backpack with almost nothing in it because you're going to want to shop and you're going to need empty space to carry that stuff around and not feel like you're lugging shopping bags or your yep. whiskey stone, you know, with you. Um, the car is probably going to be further away than you think. So, so have some, you know, some good cargo capacity so you can do that. And another tip, even if the little color wheel is not spun on the porta potty door, knock. Some people don't remember to latch the door, especially the later in the day it gets, and you want to avoid that, ah, you know, opening the door, and they're like, ah, kind of thing. So always just a dun dun dun, little rap on the on the porta potty door before you open it. Agreed. Uh, good good additions. Very good. Mm -hmm. Hope that helps. All right, Mr. Mac, we'll do one more from you, one more from Mr. Eric. I want to add one thing, Rocky. Sure. You said about taking Imodium. I think you should support local business 
and just buy a bunch of smoked cheese from from Banshee Barbecue and just load up on that, and you should be set. Yeah, that'll block you up for weeks. <laughs> Local business we know, awesome, delicious smoked cheese. In case Indeed. anybody was wondering. And and I do, I do agree with Stephen who who posted on here. If we're gonna have food thrown on us, Scotch eggs, I'm I'm willing to yes. catch those and mm-hmm. and eat them. Mm-hmm. And they travel well. They're meant to be a travel food. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're perfect. Oh, All right. Eggs. So, question is coming from Twitch. Twitch. Finally. So this is this is from Shaggy Solid Core. It says, I'm a bigger guy. Normal Sporn chains, they come with a Sporn don't fit anymore. What are his options? Uh, should he just buy a bigger change, chain or do we have to make something? And he says he hates Sporn hangers. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, Sporn chain. Sporn chain is uh, maybe add a little bit more to the length of your chain, maybe replace the chain. If you go to Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever, and they sell chain by the foot, um, you can replace that um, with a bit of effort, obviously. Sporn hangers, which he said he hates, um, are a great, yeah, I don't care if you hate them, they're a great option for bigger guys because they hang the sporing from the belt, not from you know around the waist. They tend to not underline the belly and kind of accentuate right. the belly. Right. Um, no, there aren't sporin straps. The problem with sporin straps are they only go up to a certain size based on the hide of the animal. Um, so it's a bit difficult to get a super long sporin strap. So you're kind of stuck with sporin chains or sporin hangers. Eric, any thoughts? Yeah, um, go to the pet store. Um, the extended long length of sporin chain you want is going to be a dog leash. Uh, you can hack together a sporn chain to have extra links in it, and they're going to be a nicer, flatter, and shinier, you know, than smaller chain by looking at dog leashes. Dog Nylon dog leashes or women's belts, you know, they'd have to be really large women's belts, can and also be skinny. a good way to hack, to, yeah, skinny, to hack together um, a sporn strap that might work. Now, this is very punk rock and a casual look I'm talking about, not like full dress for, you know, an evening event, but... Um, yeah, you could take a, a nylon dog leash and turn it into a sporn strap, and those come up like, geez, you know, several yards sometimes. Um, and yeah, women's belts. Uh, I've seen people hack together fashion belts because they're skinny. You know, sometimes that's a that's a way to get some leather that you can uh, you know tinker around with. So if you have to sew two pieces of leather together, like overlap them and stitch them together, you know, you can do that towards the back, or you can do that in the middle of the sporn strap, so that once you put it on, it's hidden behind the sporn. So you could yeah. actually take two sporin straps and uh, get somebody who's good with a leather needle, or if you are yourself, and uh, anchor them together that way so you can make a longer strap. Those would be my recommendations if you're handy. But I yeah, agree. go punk rock with it. Go to the pet store. Very good. All right, Mr. Eric. Okay. Last one, then we'll do the question of the day. Speaking of sporins, Mike... Zemich said, what's the deal with these sporns that have tartan on them? Are they day wear? Are they semi-formal? Are they a new thing? Would you wear them with a different tartan? 
Ta-da! That is a very good example of tartan-fronted sporins. What do we think of them? Um, they're they're a new thing. Um, there's there are some companies in Scotland that make them. There's a lot of companies in Pakistan that make them. Um, in there, there's no tradition with it. This is all newer and made up. I haven't seen any historical photos. God knows somebody will pull one up, but I haven't seen any historical photos with them existing. Um, they're they're not my cuppa, as they say. Um, I wouldn't do it. That being said, if I did do it, I would only wear it with that tartan kilt. So if I had a Royal Stewart Sporin, I would wear a Royal Stewart kilt. Now, this is where my OCD comes in. I would only wear a Royal Stewart tartan Sporin with that kilt if it was made from the same cloth. I wouldn't want it made from like bright red Royal Stewart acrylic stuff and a you know traditional wool kilt. Taking that a step further, I wouldn't. I would want to make sure that the tartan lines, the center, at least the center tartan line, if not the 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 horizontal line, match up with the tartan kilt. Um, I think it would look weird if it was off by a half pattern or that half set kind of thing. Taking it to another degree, um, if you if it matches up perfectly it kind of blends into the kilt and you just see the outline, the gusset as it were, and then like the chrome cantle or the, or the leather flap. If it doesn't match up, then you're stuck with something that doesn't match up and it screws it, you know, get a little bit of a, huh, my eyeball, my eyebrow twitches when I look at that. So I don't think uh. there's a win here. Either it, either it matches and it disappears or it doesn't match and my eyebrow twitches. So for me, I'd give it a miss, period. Whether it's, you know, uh, Pakistani, whether it's Scottish, it doesn't matter. I'm not a fan. I'm going on record saying that. Okay. Uh, so it's my turn. I'll say yep. uh, baseline, I think they're pretty tacky. I don't care for them. However, since they are a completely modern invention, I'll say the only way to wear them is a completely modern outfit. I think you could wear one with either a utility kilt or a utility style kilt, especially if it's one with removable flap pockets, so you remove those and just have the sporn instead. Solid color kilt, preferably black. I think you could almost get away with it for a casual outfit with a black kilt. Okay? Or a shadow tartan kilt. So, you know, like a gray or a black um, and basically let, again, like I, like I say, let that sporin be the piece that does the talking and let everything else fade into the background. I wouldn't do it. I definitely wouldn't. That's not my thing, but yeah. I would say that sporin plus a, a black kilt, maybe tartan flashes, you know, and maybe, and maybe, uh, maybe if you want to be really avant-garde fashionista, you know, black, uh, black vest, white shirt and a tartan tie, the same tartan as the, as the sporin. But I'm thinking more like t-shirt and utility kilt, and that's it. You know, just keep it cash, keep it fun, use it for the pub crawl, and don't take it seriously. It is not a serious sport, and do not take it seriously. Don't even try. The the only way that I could maybe, maybe see doing it is if you go to the other side of the rainbow, where you go, um, like, Royal Stewart tartan jacket 
and vest and a hunting Stuart kilt and a, you know, black Stuart sport. Like you're right. so right. tartan right. in every part of the outfit. Yeah. Now I wouldn't yeah. mix clans. I would still do all Stuarts or whatever. Uh -huh. um, but you're so tartan that it's an art piece, not a piece of fashion or not a piece of tradition yeah. yeah, because it's not traditional period. But if you're going into the art realm, into the fashion realm, fashionista, yeah, yeah, maybe I still probably wouldn't do it, but because I would, it would have to be like crazy. But maybe then, maybe. Yeah, that's like it's if like you, you're, you're, if you gave me uh, enough scotch, that's <laughs> that would be a lot of scotch. I think it'd be for you. That'd be a lot of scotch. That said, I'm probably gonna get you one of these for Yule. I, I've already decided I'm gonna get you one of these. Ooh. Um, no, yeah, I mean, like, if you're doing, like, the whole Kilted for a Cure runway fashion, we're having fun with this, we're not being completely serious, you know, and, you know, yeah. have a billion tartans in your outfit, maybe. But, yeah, it's it's a toy. I would yeah. say it's it's a for-fun thing. Wear it with a completely modern, casual outfit, and you could maybe get away with it. Yeah. But, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs> Question of the day. Um, what inspired you? to wear the kilt for the first time. Not, you know, your heritage and that kind of stuff. What was the moment? What was the one thing that you said, that's it, I'm gonna wear a kilt. I'm doing it now. Was that beer at a festival? Was that your grandfather handed down his kilt to you? Was that it was your wedding and your wife wanted, or your, your bride wanted you to wear the kilt? What was it? What was that moment? What was that inspiration? What was that spark? that made you want to wear a kilt for the first time. That's what I'm curious about this week. Very good. Until next time, boys and girls, thank you for watching and Slanjava. Slanjava. Thanks for joining us, guys. Our podcast theme song is Gold and Guns by the Kilmaine Saints. If you have a question for us, you can ask it during our YouTube live stream the first Friday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern time. If you want to get social with other kilt enthusiasts, go check out the Kilts and Culture group over on Facebook. You can also find USA Kilts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or over at our website, usakilts.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, Slanjava.